All right, hope everybody's doing good. We are here today with a writer, a bass player, and musician here in Kansas City, Mark Montgomery. Hi, Rob. How you doing? Good to see you again. Yeah, man. Doing Thanks well. for coming. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So I think, I can't remember where I maybe would have met you. It had to have been at a jam, but... Um, well, it's pretty pretty likely, yeah, if I would guess. Sure, yeah. 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 But I know that um, that you'd been... I knew you before this, but then I saw that you'd been now, you know, playing with Brian a little bit, sure. Brian Ruskin, yeah. and that, that's really yeah. always fun to that watch. That could have been band, probably where we met too. Probably, yeah. Those gigs. I'm yeah, sure it probably was. Yeah, yeah, but uh, it was. It's great to always hear you with them because you're obviously a, you know, a veteran and you know what's going on. And even though Brian's, you know, I have a heck of a time keeping up with Brian. I mean, he's just a monster, but, but you're, you know, you're a veteran and you, you keep with yeah. those guys easy, you know, like yeah. that's, that's, well, that's I've cool had the fortunate experience of being able to play with Brian, uh, you know, a lot in the last you know, 10 or more years and mm -hmm. actually got to know his dad, um, mm -hmm. many years ago when I'd take my kids who were both musicians at the time down to Jardines and Tommy would have my kids, up, uh, Patrick and Alex on the bandstand with me usually he saved us to the last you know <laughs> and you know talked about the kids all the way because he really liked them and they you know they're good musicians but uh that's kind of i met tommy and then met brian after that mm -hmm. and uh, tommy was so good to us he was just mm -hmm. a beautiful guy and just extraordinary uh, drummer musician percussionist just amazing yeah he, he was extremely well respected in town i heard his name all over the place yeah, yeah. You never had a chance to. I saw him, you know. I yeah, saw him yeah. at, at uh, with Brom at uh, sure. Majestic, yeah, oh, sure, a bunch yeah. of times, yeah. you know. But I've, n I've never like met him and yeah. talked to him, but you know, which is never got a chance. Enough, anyway, Brom, you know. <laughs> anyway, Brom, yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I, I know, you know, a little bit about you now, but I don't know, you know, what happened before, like how you got started playing, and a little bit about your career, like, like share that with us. Well, the spaceship flew by at a very high rate of speed, and they <laughs> squirted something out the side that landed in the ocean, and here I was. No, I'm not kidding. Um, I started playing music about the time I got married, which was in about 1987, 1986, 87. I was just getting into playing bass, and I'd played bass in high school in the stage shows and um, uh, played tuba. They had too many trumpet players, and so I switched over to sousaphone and tuba for the marching band, mm -hmm. and I just kind of got stuck on the bottom end and loved it, and so mm -hmm. learned how to play electric bass, and uh, I had a solo on the wood chopper's ball in the Kemper Arena one time at one of the basketball games when they featured our little high school pet band, mm -hmm. so you know, I played probably for more people there at that event than I yeah, <laughs> ever played yeah, for yeah, since. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. But, uh, but I just kind of thought of that. But uh, and my dad bought me a guitar when I was 16. And we always had a piano around the house. We were a musical family. Mm. My older brother is a very accomplished uh, uh, pianist and uh, uh, as well as playing accordion and he's learned the Bondonian. Mm. So he can play the, uh, the, the Astor Piazzolla kind of music in there. Mm, so yeah. they've, they've done a lot of that. but. And so I, I took some piano lessons from him when I was a kid and got a drum set for a brief period of time, but I ended up on trumpet and then took lessons from Tony Swisher. Do you know Tony? Mm -hmm, yeah. well, I think he's, hi Tony, he's still around town here somewhere. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen him in a long, long time, but mm -hmm. um, uh, so uh, 
I got some music lessons when I was a kid and mm-hmm. then was always in school bands yeah. from that point forward. So that's kind of where it started. Sure. And, um, and of course, because we always had a piano around the house, everybody was going in and fooling around with it. So in my opinion, piano is the reason why anybody can figure out any other instrument because they can look at the piano and see all the notes, all their relations to each other, where they repeat, and, and you can look at chords. I, when I'm thinking chords on a guitar or something, I'm looking at the piano keyboard, thinking that needs to be a, a seven or a minor Sharp seven or this, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and you know, it's proven that children who take piano lessons are better at math. Mm. So we started both our kids on piano, and then they moved on to other instruments. Saxophone. It's it's so visual, isn't it? Well, on it, piano, it, yeah, you know, for you me, can just see just, everything. It, yeah, they couldn't have designed something to write and compose music on more brilliantly. And it was hundreds of years ago, mm-hmm. and it hasn't changed in all that time. So. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah. yeah, I came from a musical family off, sure. off on a tangent about piano, but mm-hmm. uh, so I kind of learned music and learned how to read as, as a younger person, and I'm not that great a reader now. I, you know, sight reading stuff for me was kind of clumsy, but mm-hmm. I can read charts and play bass. Um, I, I started a band, uh, and me and another fellow named Steve Andrews started a band called the Main Street Rhythm Devils, mm-hmm. and our drummer was Freddie Holmes, and Freddie was a black man. He was from Kansas City, Kansas, he was a veteran of the Korean War. Mm. Freddie was an old guy, you know, and we were just these two young, mm-hmm. punky white kids that wanted to play blues, you know, and we just into the blues. Well, Freddie just took us under his wing and just adopted us and just had so much fun. He was just such a beautiful human being. He was funny. Any time on break time we had, it, you would see Freddie talking to people, and they're over there just laughing, laughing, you know, like he mm-hmm. was... Just a very sweet man, but he taught us how to play the shuffle. Mm-hmm. And Freddie could play a jackrabbit shuffle that I've maybe only heard one or two drummers since then that can actually play it like that. It's mm-hmm. just such a feather touch and so fast that I can't even do it with my tongue. Right, you know? yeah, yeah. He had this shuffle beat and he would just, I just call it, he, he shoved the shuffle up our asses. And we had to play it fast. Yeah. We had to be able to play it. Uh-huh. So we worked in that band for two or three years, maybe. Played the Hilltop West Bar and Grill, which turned into the Coda a few years ago. It's mm-hmm. now closed. But that was a little neighborhood joint. And it was on a full moon. You're guaranteed there was going to be a fight. So you had to kind of keep your eyes up and, you know. <laughs> Watch the crowd. Yeah, and that's they're funny. dancing yeah, in case yeah. some guy gets jealous and comes yeah, in, right, yeah, swings yeah. at somebody on the dance floor, knocks over your mic stand, and breaks your teeth out. You know, so <laughs> that kind of gig. We played the bigger jigger on East Belfontaine and 12th Street. Uh, you know, had Wednesday nights there, and and uh, you know we had weekend stuff at the at the other club and a lot of other places like that. We got to play the Spirit Fest when it was downtown. Lindsey Shannon booked us into that, mm-hmm. you know, first couple of years we were playing, so that was a big deal. Bonnie Raitt played that stage later in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I've just been thrust into this really uh, beautiful life in Kansas City musically because there's so much music around, and you know, you you can't hardly swing a dead cat around your head without running into a musician or you mm-hmm. know somebody's a promoter or whatever. Mm-hmm. So anyway, from that, I formed the Most City Jumpers with Jim Beisman, uh, Mark Kaplan on drums. Mm-hmm. And Mark Kaplan 
worked with Greg Mize and he worked with uh, all the B3 organ players as mm -hmm. a drummer. And, um, you know, he used to work at a jam over on Sunday nights, somewhere in Independence, and I've forgotten the name of the place, but he told me that Jay McShann would come in there on Sunday nights mm -hmm. after he was done with his gigs and play with them. And he called Mark Goodwood. He said, hey, Goodwood, you know. And so, uh, and Mark could play any kind of a drum beat. We, we, we focused on groove music. It was mm -hmm. our, our thing. It was a piano trio with tenor saxist uh, uh, Dana Smith. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've ever heard Dana play. Or mm -hmm. he's, well, he's kind of retired, but uh, Dana, the first time we met him was at the Hilltop, and he just came and sat in with the band one night. He, oh, I was so drunk, man. I, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, dude, you can play. I mean, when we first heard him play, it was like, so Main Street Rhythm Devils then morphed into Mo City Jumpers and then Steve left the band and then it was just Piano Trio with Dana on the tenor horn. So we were doing all kinds of horse silver mm -hmm. um, and just all the jazz standards that people mm -hmm. normally meet. And Jim as a piano player was able to teach me all that stuff and I you know, learned by the seat of my pants just playing behind him so much of the jazz that, that, that I've done over the years and so. Um, and then uh, Dana quit the band at some point, and then we went to Trio, and I we needed another soloist, and so instead of hiring somebody, I just started playing harmonica on a rack mm -hmm. and the stand-up bass, which was you know kind of a chore to learn how to do. Mm -hmm. all it's, this, it's a little different. All this has yeah. to be going by itself. You can't even think about it, you know, when you're playing another instrument on top of it. Wow, harmonica, uh, you know, for. Uh, and so we did that for a few years, uh, gosh, and then I started jam sessions, jazz jam down at the uh, 12 Baltimore Club, mm -hmm. or it was, you know, yeah. bar, uh, there might be called something else now, but uh, we had a jazz jam there for a few months that lasted, and then a few months later I was still getting calls from people, hey man, I went down to your jam, where were you? And it's like, well, they pulled the plug on it, right. you know, it's, but uh, such is the way things go, but Main Street or, uh, most city jumpers played at the Phoenix on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. We were there, you know, monthly on one of the weekend nights, uh, and just you know that was we were in our heyday musically then. Ten years before anybody else in Kansas City got to that point with that style of music, you know, mm -hmm. we were playing Jimmy Smith tunes mm -hmm. and. Sissy Strut, the meters, meters and funky. Meters. We're just doing all kinds of really cool, obscureish kind of stuff. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, we even covered uh, uh, compared to what, you know. And I sang that one, and that that's just a whole piece of music right there. It's a chart, you know. But we covered that song. We covered some Tom Waits stuff, mm -hmm. and just anything that we wanted to do, mm -hmm. we had the musical ability to pull it off. We did it. And so that was just a tremendous, that was, you know, in my, you know, 30s, 40s, and, mm -hmm. you know, that's where I really kind of felt comfortable was playing jazz bass. We also played, like, Backdoor Man, you know, by uh, uh, Willie Dixon, which is, you know, a blues song. So we played a bunch of blues. We played all this cool swinging organ groove music, which Mark Kaplan was adapted to playing on the drums, and I could play next to Mark all night long, and I'd walk out of the gig, I was right next to his right cymbal, 
and I don't think there were three times in the 10 or 15 years we played together that my ears were ringing because mm -hmm. he could lay down a hard, heavy groove without all the volume that no, you know, normally happens. Yeah. Um, so from there, uh, after 2001, the music business really took a deep hit when that happened, when the bombings happened, mm -hmm. the planes crashing into the towers. And I started about that time, I saw John Hammond Jr. play the guitar and the harmonica on a rack. And I was like, holy shit, here's a, here's a white guy that has all kinds of soul and he's doing it. I mean, and so I, you know, I had kind of started on harmonica, played a little in the bands and stuff. But uh, when I saw that guy playing that solo act with the harmonica, just slaying it on the harmonica, just like so soulful and so into it. I, mm -hmm. that's what got me into doing the solo stuff because, first of all, I, you know, I didn't have to take the band along to make better money, so the solo gigs were paying more. I could ask more for them, and they were paying them because mm -hmm. I, could, I could lay down a dance groove with that, you know, using a little foot stomp and right. you know guitar and harmonica, and um, so I kind of did that for a few years uh, while playing with other little jazz bands and stuff, um, you know, filling in. Uh, Brian Ruskin, I was doing a few gigs with him here and there. And then um, most city jumpers kind of fell out, um, you know, maybe seven or eight years ago. And, um, um, and then I started playing with Brian probably at about the same time playing electric bass behind mm -hmm. Brian and sometimes acoustic bass but uh, uh, that's kind of the last few years I've been doing that or yeah. you know and I, Brian uses a lot of different bass players but I was really fortunate to hit that groove at the Phoenix with him mm -hmm. which is my home I the Phoenix bar I've been going you know I've been there since like the late 90s yeah wow playing yeah. almost the whole time mm -hmm. right now I don't have any current gigs there but you know last Friday night I went in down and sat in with Amanda mm -hmm. fish yeah. and you know so it's it's the, the, the Phoenix has been instrumental in my development as a musician because I've worked there from almost all the years I've played That's there. cool man and they don't they don't hire bad band every other band mm -hmm. that plays down there Good, they get yeah. a crowd in because they do the work of keeping good bands in there. Mm. Everybody knows they can go in there any time and hear somebody take their good. friends in and hear yeah. somebody good, not just the neighborhood right. people that work at Hallmark and they've got their band together and they work for cheap or for, right. you know. So, so you, you said a couple of interesting things there that one thing that I've been really, really interested in and in trying to figure out in my head, and this is kind of more of a life lesson as well, is that me as a young musician, I keep hearing all of these stories about even in the 90s, I talked to a couple friends of mine and they're like, dude, our band was terrible and we were playing five nights a week, you know, and mm -hmm. I keep hearing stories like that and especially obviously 70s, 40s, you know, I mean, I hear, mm -hmm. you know, throughout history, everybody's been playing. And so my new thing in life is not that I always do this, but I'm trying to take a little bit more like personal responsibility for myself. And so for example, when I'm going out and like looking for gigs, I'm always stuck between this two, this two prong thing where I don't want the problem to be other people and the club owners and the, the scene. And mm -hmm. I, I want it to be that I'm not working hard enough. 
you know, to get, go find the gigs and get, get uh, stuff. Yeah. But then I also have this other thing that is true that, like you just said, it kind of took a hit in 2001 and like, and people aren't just, aren't coming out near as much as like the seventies and then the nineties and stuff. So I'm always, you know, grappling between this two things of how do I emotionally feel about this when as a younger musician or when things aren't happening as fast as I want, yeah. I want to take responsibility, but there's also this thing going on that, you know, that there's a lot of people, especially, you know, compared to the forties where a lot of people just don't care about like jazz, for example, anymore yeah. as much as they did. Mm -hmm. And example, you know, things like that or live music that people are just well, there going are on the so internet. There's so many or, other things that people can mm -hmm. do with their time now. The television just sucked the life and out. And internet of is ter huge right well, now. Well, and the yeah. internet has sucked yeah. the life out of the music business to an extent, but mm -hmm. the internet is also a place where you can promote music. Mm -hmm. So there's, it's a double-edged sword. Right. I mean. Um, and we definitely, in 2001, took a big hit mm -hmm. because everybody was in a foul, sour mood after that and people had a hard time going out and having a good time. And you know, then the DUI things were coming up. Yeah. The DUI laws, they started really getting tough on that and people started staying home right. about that same time period. And it was a tough, you know, through the 2000s, that was a tough time to be in music. And, uh, so. Taking smoking out of the bars too, you know. There's been a whole there's, bunch of yeah, little things yeah. that I don't know if that had as much effect as the DOI thing, but no, so it did because yeah. after people got over being sour about the bar and being right. not smoking, then they'd come back and just go outside and smoke, right, and it caused right, them to yeah. smoke less. It was good for everybody, but you know? but yeah. So I'm I'm trying to, you know, accept the fact that that as a young musician, I'm trying to get into a time when. It is not, a, you know, when there isn't 18,000 bars in even a Kansas City, you know, so I'm trying to have this good, healthy perspective. And you, I think you mentioned something about perspective maybe before we started, but the other thing is that a lot of times I hear a lot of kind of complainers in that sense, you know, about sure. like the public just doesn't understand, you know, public doesn't understand what our band is trying to do mm -hmm. and the bar owners this and the da 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 da, yeah, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And even in Wichita, you know, I was like, man, this is pitiful down here. You know, there's nothing yeah. going on. Yeah. But as soon as I came to Kansas City and there's like 15 jams a week and there's actually people who care about, I was like kid in a candy store. And so, you know, and so, yeah. but then I hear some people leave and they're like, oh man, those, you know, Kansas City's stuck in its place and da, 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 da. And, yeah. and so I'm trying to have a really good, and that's one of the reasons why I want to do the show is to hear some more perspective on what is going on here. But, um... Do you, do you find the complaining, you know, I heard a Phil Wakefield said one time, and this is not his quote, but he's like, you want to, want to hear a music, musician complain, give him a gig. You yeah. Know? And, and that's, that's a great, funny. you know, that's a great go, line. Phil. Yeah, I know. Um, but uh, what, what do you think about that of like musicians kind of, kind of, kind of bitching all the time? What do you, what do you think about well, that? Here's, here's my, here's my thing on, on playing music is like. Only, I think Lonnie Ray may have told me this. I can't remember who quoted it to me, but, but only three or four percent of musicians actually get to stand on a stage and play for people. Mm -hmm. And so you should feel very gifted that you have this opportunity wherever you are. If you're playing in a bar band somewhere mm -hmm. or on a stage somewhere at a festival or whatever, you are one of the few that is gifted enough and hardworking, driven enough to learn your instrument learn your trade, create a craft of it, 
and make you know music and make some money from it. Mm -hmm. um, after two thousand one, I just uh, it just pretty much wasn't about the money after that. Mm -hmm. And I think what's happened. I mean, for you or the scene for anybody for everybody yeah. for everybody it was a mm -hmm. you know Max Groove had a he had at that very time he had a CD release party in LA his stuff was he had three or four songs on the jazz charts out there and his his CD release party was September 12th oh wow well, and he told so he me it totally just screwed, just yeah. destroyed his career for years he just i mean you know uh, my friends Max, Barry, Denny Osborne, and, mm -hmm. and, and he were playing the uh, little fairway grill, and he said they used to just regularly make people come up and drop hundreds in the jar. And after that happened, it just like, mm -hmm. there were nights when they didn't get any tips. Right. Well, it was a, a psychological condition of the country, but yeah. back to the three yeah. or four percent, we're, we're lucky to be playing, we're lucky that somebody's willing to pay us anything to play. But, on the other hand, Musicians, when I started playing, I made 50 bucks a gig and I felt like I was on that was pretty good money back mm -hmm. then. And if you convert that with inflation to today's mm -hmm. terms, it's like $242. Yeah, so you could buy a, 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 I mean, back then, I remember when my kids were little, I'd buy a, a cart full of groceries and complain because it was 50 bucks, but I could make that in a night playing a gig. Yeah, and so. You know, we eventually started making more money, but at 2001, man, it just kind of put the ceiling on what everybody gets paid. Yeah. I mean, and it's still there. Yeah. We're still in the dark ages for what we get paid for music. And sure. lately, I, I give my go away price, and if they don't go away, then we're all, we're both happy. Um, I think you can devalue yourself by playing for less. Mm. You can devalue yourself by asking for less because mm. you're only perceived as that worth that much. Mm. To yourself, how can you be worth much more than that to me? And so often you can chase people away by underpricing yourself. Yeah. So there's a, a fine balance between what kind of money you can make, um, but you have to love doing it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, for me, I just couldn't imagine not going to my musical therapy sessions, right, which yeah. I get paid for. I'm lucky. Right, yeah. But on the other hand, it's it's a hard way to make a living. Mm -hmm. The bands that are out there traveling and touring are not doing it because they make money. Mm -hmm. They are, you know, very few of them until you get into the, you know, until you're right. into a big Prevost bus. Sure. You're right. not making any money. Yeah. You know, it's an adventure so, to them. You know, it's a light. It's yeah. It's yeah. well, it's it's you want to share mm -hmm. your creativity, your music, your talent, your love mm -hmm. with people, and music is love. It 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 you know. So I mean, I just feel so fortunate that I've had the career I've had, you know, because I've been able to share my stuff. And in the last few years, I've started writing. And that's when I crawled out from under a rock. I, I, I played music in Kansas City for over 20 years, and mm -hmm. you know, nobody knew who I was. Mm -hmm. I'd go play gigs, subbing jazz bass for some gig, and people would get to know me a little bit, but I, I was nowhere. I, you know, I yeah. wasn't even on the radar in Kansas City. Still, I started songwriting and producing with Max Berry. Mm -hmm. And then I had a product that I could take down to KKFI and they put it on the radio and I could send it to other radio stations and people started learning of me through KKFI a lot. And this was even before the internet. 
And so when Facebook came out, it was an immediate way that I could project myself out there and right. let people know who I am. That has been tremendously helpful to me because I've gotten to know a lot of people on Facebook before I've met them in person yeah. as people yeah. and know who they are and know who you want to kind of come up and introduce yourself to and who not to and know who's going to come to the gig and who isn't. Right. So, you know, um, Facebook, Facebook people are people. Uh, no, 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 they're <laughs> not really. People are not people. No, well, and one of my, I'll, I'll just say something to that point, and that is that I can post a gig. I play every other Tuesday at Jazz, uh, and Billy Evelyn plays the other Tuesdays. Mm -hmm. We've been doing this for a while, and uh, I Facebook post this stuff every day, every time, you know, 24 hours in advance, and 90 people like it. Nobody shows up to the yeah, gig. Right, so right, there's a big yeah. difference in promoting yourself. Sure that way but I did notice that if, if you know I was reading something about uh, if you want to go out on the road you need to be able to sell out shows in your own hometown mm -hmm. and if you can do that pack bars in your own hometown then you, you have a pretty good chance of being able to do that on the road and I was yeah. thinking to myself well, yeah, I'm not gonna make it so but yeah. my last CD that I just came out with uh, the, the uh, difficult man CD we had the CD release party at Frank's, and this is the first show I've ever done in my life that I had to sell tickets for. Mm -hmm. And I spent two weeks really working hard at it. I went on radio interviews on mm -hmm. KKFI. Chuck Haddix had me on mm -hmm. the, the night before my show, which was a Sunday afternoon. Frank got us in on a Sunday afternoon down there. And we sold out and had to move into the bigger room. I, you know, at the last That's minute, neat. the sound yeah. guy, we're already set up in the Carl Butler Lounge, and he moved us out to the other stage. I'm like, why? He goes, I don't know. Frank just told me to. So, mm -hmm. but I sold more tickets than I ever imagined. Yeah, that's for that awesome, one show, man. and it wasn't that hard. You have to be a pro. You have to, you know. I don't know. I I learned a lesson there though that I can sell out shows in my yeah. hometown. Yeah, that's cool, man. And and that you know, and since then I've had some other shows that were successful mm -hmm. because I was promoting them really successfully yeah. promoting them. And I'm not a promoter. I don't like to do it. Yeah, it's 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 a pain in the neck. So, it, it, you know, it's, yeah, I just want to go play music. I know, and it's I know. A, there's so much yeah. more to it than that. Right. So you know, you learn after a while. If you want to run it like a business, you got to do the all everything. You got to wear all the hats. You got to be the the promoter. Mm -hmm. You've got to be the record salesperson. You've got to be the distributor. You've got you know like it's. How am I going to do all so, that? So, so two things you said there that was interesting. So again, I'm I'm trying to roll this in my head about is it you know, is there more I could be doing myself, or is it just the you know is it just the scene and the owners and the society and whatever? But you said something interesting about the four percent thing of who's playing. Yeah. I heard this interesting thing the other day, and it's it's something called like the Matthew principle, and it's for it's it's from the Bible, but. It's the basic idea is that there's like this sort of formula in all things that like 1% of the, or it's like 1% of the, of the arena uh -huh. will be getting 50% of the stuff. So, and he said this works, right. this works with everything. Like, so for example, 1% of the YouTube channels get at least 50% of the viewers. 1% of the recording artists end up getting 50% of the album mm -hmm. sales. 1% mm -hmm. of the, you know, and it, it goes through all of these. The 1%ers have it. 1%ers have 50% yeah. of the money, right? Yeah, yeah. And, he, and he was making an argument that this is a thing, there's, there's a quote that I can't remember from the Old Testament, but that's what the Matthew 
everything. But so that's another argument against my it's all only my personal responsibility you know is that that you're you're kind of there yeah, is this yeah. thing that you're yeah. that you are fighting against and don't mm -hmm. don't be maybe the lesson there is there is obviously sometimes a hell of a lot more that people could be doing like you were talking about the advertising that some bands just don't want to do mm -hmm. but maybe you need to go do it mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. the but there is this thing out there that you don't have any really control over and you can only put out your huge Facebook posts and people don't show up, you know, yeah. you, you've done as much as you can, you know, so I don't know well, what the moral is there, but maybe it it's It depends both, on how know? far you want to go with it. And yeah. here's the thing, Rob. I think that it's the musician's job to provide good music. Hmm. It is the club owner's job to provide an audience. And the way they can provide an audience, any club, is by putting in consistently good music. Mm. You don't know what that club has on tonight. All you know is that every time you've been there, you've seen a great band, your friend's coming in from somewhere, you're picking them up at the airport, you wanna take them to see some live music, you take them to that bar because you know there's mm. gonna be some kind of good band there. You don't know who it's gonna be. But, so, a good club, Frank's place, mm -hmm. you know, the Phoenix. There's there are several Phoenix, clubs that Green they, Lady, BB's, Green Lady, uh, you know, they, they, all of these yeah. places in Kansas Majestic City. Always if you are fortunate music, enough yeah. to play one of these places, you know there will be an audience there for mm -hmm. you. So just do your best work, go out and play the show, mm -hmm. do your practice, do your homework, do your thing. And when you find clubs like that that you can play that way, that have their own audience and they don't put anything on you if nobody shows up or they, they still pay you the same. Here's another thing. Kansas City is a place where you can get paid whether a crowd shows up or not in most places, mm -hmm. which is so unusual. I mean, compared to anywhere else in the U.S. It's still kind of the Wild West here a little okay. bit. You yeah. can walk in and get a, get a $100 gig for yourself and it's a thing. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, I mean, you yeah, don't have to yeah. buy, you don't have to sell tickets like freaking Austin, right? Go to somewhere in West mm -hmm. Virginia and yeah. try to get a hundred bucks for a gig and yeah. they'll laugh at you mm -hmm. because they've got a bunch of local guys that'll play for 50 bucks and mm -hmm. yeah, that's all they're going to pay. Right. You know, so, but anyway, my point yeah. is, is that, um, one of the, one of the, Clubs shall remain nameless, and I said something about the Hallmark people earlier. There was this band from Hallmark that was a bunch of Hallmark employees, and they would come in and play for free, and they'd bring forty people with them, and they drank like fish, and it was a, you know, it was a, it was a big night for the club owner whenever these guys played. Of course it was. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. after a few times of playing, <clears throat> they started scaring people away because they weren't that good. Mm -hmm. And they played for free, and that was the bait that the club owner could have said, mm -hmm. uh, now I'm going to pay you guys something, you know. Um, but they didn't care about the money. But he did, you know, he liked the money that he came in at that sure. time, but it damaged his reputation mm -hmm. to the point where nobody was sure if that band was playing Saturday, we don't want to go. So that's yeah. what, that's up to the club owners. Yeah. And the club owners that put it on you, why aren't you filling this place up? Mm -hmm. Boo-hoo. Uh, For me, I'm just kind of like, you know, dude, get yourself some good bands. That will bring uh, some audience in. And then the, the, the other people that are in the bar like them, they start telling their friends. It's a matter of a, a, a consistent long-term. Long with music, you can't just start something that's going to be an overnight success. Uh, and I've heard the quote that if you want to make a million dollars in the 
music business, you start with three million. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, so, right, yeah, you know, right, but, yeah. but a lot of the club owners, yeah. when they first get started, I've seen it many times, they, they're going to do this right, and they're going to, you know, and then six months later, they're out of money, and they have to start pulling the plugs on things, and it just... And has, going to trivia night. Half, <laughs> the, half the bars that open up don't last a year. Right, right. Restaurants, same way, maybe. There, there's the 1%, yeah, it's yeah, 50% yeah. of the, you know. So, and, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it's the responsibility of the club to put good bands, and mm-hmm. Kansas City's full of great musicians. This mm-hmm. place is just... Yeah, you should not have a problem finding musicians. Wichita might be a different, but Kansas City is not that way. I mean, there's good musicians everywhere in the country. Uh, They're coming out out of the woodwork now Mm -hmm. in this day and age because music is important in this day and age. Mm -hmm. But um, in Kansas City, I've just watched it, you know, pretty much most of my life. I started playing when I was in my late 20s, and I've watched it all along develop into what it is now. I would have never dreamed it mm-hmm. would be like this. It is just an amazing place to see music. Mm-hmm. And you can walk into most clubs without a $5 cover charge. And the ones you do have, you, you, you go to a bar and they ask you for $5 at the door and you walk in there and get to see that band. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing. It's just simply amazing. We, we don't get this kind of music elsewhere in the country. You can go to Nashville and pay $10 a cover to get in and see a good band for an hour or two and then they, yeah. and they change it out and you, you know, like you've got a show, but it, 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 New York, you have to pay, I, right, I don't know yeah. what to see a show there, right. but it's not any $5 cover charge. You can't just walk in and find a place and they'll bring you beer. You know, it's... Flip 20s in New York. It's all yeah, you do yeah. is flip 20. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, I mean, we, our music scene, the bar scene has just blown up in the last few years. The crossroads when they started gentrifying and developing, that just brought life back to downtown. Yeah. All the apartment buildings in downtown yeah. are full of people. Downtown's going back. Downtown's That's the streets. Sure, there are yeah. people. When I was working at 12th and Baltimore, my friends from Johnson County were afraid to come down there because mm-hmm. they might get hustled by a homeless person. And it was like, don't, what do you, just have a dollar in your hand when you get out of your car. That's all the guy wants. He needs a dollar. Give him a dollar. You know, I mean, he needs to he'll be your best friend. You so know, so just get you out of your to... car with a dollar in your hand. That's yeah, I, I, you know, good grief. You know, you're worried about the guys. Just when they ask you for money, just hand them some, and they look. You go in the bar. Don't even worry about it, because that guy, if he saw somebody screwing with your car after you tip him, he's gonna he's gonna go over and give him hell. You know, mm-hmm. I, I say, you know, don't be afraid. Yeah. And so. But for years, it was desolate streets down there. Yeah. So you had to park a block away. It was there was nobody around. Somebody could thump you in the head. So you know they had maybe some legitimate fears. But the bottom line is, is now it is. It looks like downtown Atlanta. Yeah. It looks like somewhere that's uh, Chicago yeah. or you know. I mean, it's starting to be that. And I'm that's really. Great. Really happy about it. So, the other thing that I wanted to ask you a little bit about that, that was a little more big picture stuff, but but kind of the smaller picture with different musicians in town. One thing that was frustrating me is, and, and again, I didn't really coin this phrase, but I came up with this phrase that this is really what I mean, is that I'm getting frustrated with musician cluelessness. And an example of when people are turning their amps up to seven and they don't really realize it or we talked about earlier, you know, playing over other musicians, you know, when not really understanding that it's not your solo dude, you know, there's a singer singing right now, you know, that kind of stuff. 
Um, I'm frustrated about that. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to do the show is to have some conversations about that and get other mm -hmm. people's perspective. And maybe, you know, the counter argument to that is I'm just, you know, I'm just a, uh, not a nutcase, which I, I'm just like too, too intense with this. And I, I'm not yeah. loving music, man, dude. Yeah, oh, yeah, dude, yeah, man, yeah, you know, yeah, just yeah. it's love, express yourself, you know, all that kind of, yeah. but for me, I get frustrated because I, I want music to play, be played really well because that's what inspires me. Yeah. I don't know if crappy music inspires other people. I would doubt it. You know, and so like I, that's I've that's seen some my crappy music you know. in bars, and people are having a great time. I know, this is like and so they've never heard Kansas City music yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like they so, haven't heard. Like, so, heard. so with the with the specific, uh, I, I know. I think one time I was talking to you about that maybe uh, that maybe in in Jam Magazine or somewhere that you that you put like like. 10 open jam rules or you did like a, a thing. I don't oh, know if you ended up doing that. Etiquette. Yeah, jam yeah. etiquette or, or player etiquette or whatever. Can yeah. you just, just not even about your article, but but just can you can you discuss a little bit of that about etiquette when you're playing on stage or whatever? Well, Kansas City is a jam session town. Mm -hmm. Unlike any other that, you know, like you can go to Nashville, you can go to Memphis, people don't let you sit in. It's not a common thing. The bands have worked really hard to get their stuff together, and they have to focus on it. And when they have another player coming in, it's it's like a whole different thing. And in Kansas City, there's a big jazz community, and so like Brian Ruskin, for instance, um, when people come in that he knows, I've sat in with him. Yeah, 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 like you, Rob. You, mm -hmm. I mean, we're very gracious. I mean, and I say we, meaning the whole community in Kansas City, the jazz community in Kansas City, is usually very gracious about mm -hmm. getting their friends to come sit in. It, it's viewed as a gift by this person to come in and sit in. So, you know, it's an honor to be asked to do that. Um, Kansas City is also the home to a, a jam session of some sort in town, whether Every it's rock, blues, yeah. jazz, anything. Every night of the week. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't Which happen. Really neat. As far as I know, that doesn't happen anywhere else in the universe. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's lots of live music in Austin and other places, but um, uh, Scott Moyer, I think, just moved to mm -hmm. Omaha. So they don't have a jam up there. So he started a bar, mm -hmm. you know, a jam and a bar on Thursday night, and he said people are just starting to come in like crazy because it's like, oh, we're, you know, it's never happened in mm -hmm. Omaha. Well, Omaha's only 150 miles away, and they don't have a jam yet. So Kansas City's been doing this for a long time, and the godfather of music in Kansas City, in my opinion, uh, blues music, is Lonnie Ray. Uh -huh. Lonnie Ray was the first person that I ever got up and sat in with. Uh -huh. When the harmonica, he let me up and he made me feel like a million bucks when I walked down. And I I just went up there and played a little bit of harp and uh -huh. I wasn't that good. It was the first time I'd ever played, but he, was, he encouraged me. And uh, Lonnie Ray, I, I, I've seen him for years encouraging other musicians, getting them up, showing them a good time. Mm -hmm. And you know, like when a musical train wreck happens at a jam session, nobody gets hurt. Mm -hmm. There's no reason to get your feelings hurt. There's mm -hmm. a, it's just like, yeah, well, the ending didn't work out so well, let's laugh about it and move on. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's happened to me down at Knuckleheads, even just like in the last couple of years, I was up there, and I'm used to having the bass in my hand when I'm singing a song. So I'm up there singing in front of this band and there's a, another bass player and when the song came up to the ending I was just like, 
oh, who's got it? Who's got it? Who's got it? And nobody had it. And just the song just fell apart. And we all had a big laugh about it. And it was great, you know, because nobody gets hurt in a musical train wreck. But um, uh, the jam session comes with its own set of problems. And one of them is that there's one person usually responsible for managing the stage, getting the musicians on and off. They all have their different ways of doing this. Sometimes the guys will get five guys up there and let them sing or play for half an hour. Um, or sometimes they'll just have a person up. I, I kind of favor the idea of having one person up for two or three songs, getting them down. And, and, you know, like maybe this person's up for two songs and maybe at the next two songs go by, change out somebody else and just kind of keep it moving around that way. That's the way I like it because if you put a band on the stage for a half an hour and they're all the same guys, and they were here last week. You're going to hear the same set you heard last week. And so, you know, so yeah. that's kind of one of my little yeah. things about jam sessions. If it's really run properly, it never gets monotonous or old. I mean, or, you know, usually not. I mean, uh, but so there's managing all this, this, this one guy mm -hmm. or this one person. And then you've got all these musicians that are maybe not in a band and they don't get to jam that often mm -hmm. and they've been looking forward to this all week and they get mm -hmm. up there and they have to wait and wait and wait and they're getting pissy and you know and 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 you know making it difficult for the guy running the show mm -hmm. maybe the guy running the show doesn't particularly like this person that much and they're putting him on ice for a while who knows on but purpose the bottom line this this problem exists too so um i guess I mean, for me, in that whole situation, is just don't take things personally. Mm -hmm. When you're at a gig at, or at a jam and you're on the sign-up list and it gets down to the end of the day, they've had a busy day and you don't get to get up, don't take it personally. It's not, you know, like, mm -hmm. it's a privilege to play on stage, mm -hmm. especially if you don't have your own band and you don't get right. to do it that often. You want to come into a jam, don't try to run the show. Be a part of it. Not a, not be a, a bee in the hive. Not, not a right. Well, a little bit of more of a privilege to get to play, and it's it not, is a you privilege. Know, right. It is. I agree. Indeed, yeah, yeah, yeah. a privilege. Yeah. And I've seen temperamental people stomp out because right. they didn't get to play, or they didn't get to play with who they wanted to, mm -hmm. or you know, they have the temper fits, and uh, that just goes along with the rest of life. There are employees like that. There are bosses like that. You know, there are people like that. But in the music situation, music should be fun. And if it isn't fun, who's going to want to do it? Mm. If it wasn't fun, none of us would do it, mm. Rob. It, yeah. If this was just a grind job to you for what it pays, you wouldn't do it. So yeah. it's important that people have fun. And the other mm. thing about having fun on stage is that if you're not having fun, the people watching you are not having fun. Yeah. They see the tension. Yeah. They can feel it. They can feel the energy. And it has to be fun. So at jam sessions, it's important to just keep it fun. Do, mm. do stuff that you like. Um, and, and then um, the other thing is there is usually a kind of procedure. You either have a sign-up list, a set list, mm -hmm. a sign-up list, and you go up and introduce yourself to the band, let them know who you are and what you play if you don't know them. You know, I'm a harmonica player. This is me, Mike. I'm right here. And, you know, um, you know they get to visit with this person and try to figure out who to fit them with in the jam session. I mean, this is hard work. To run a jam session, it's I've done easy, it before. Yeah. It's yeah. a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, folks, but if you're going to a jam, yeah. if you don't treat the person running it with respect, you don't deserve to get up on stage. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's even when things don't go your way. 
you know, because they don't sometimes. And, um, and never go into a gig of somebody else's band and take your gear in with you. And expect to play. And expect to play. Mm -hmm. And when you walk in with your guitar, everybody in the audience go, oh, he's going to play with the band. And the band's like, mm, you know, like that puts the band in an uncomfortable position because you haven't talked to him about it. Mm -hmm. Talk to him about it first. When you go to the jam host and you sign up, talk to them. Mm -hmm. Ask them what they want from you. Where would you like to put me instead of saying, you know, I want to be with this guy and this guy and this guy. It's like, where would you like to put, put me wherever, mm -hmm. you know, and just be easy about it because yeah. it should be fun. And if you make it not fun for other people, you're just, you're just robbing everyone of the whole experience. Yeah. So, um, so that's where, I, so I, I hear all of that and mm -hmm. I'm struggling with, and, and not even the jams part, but just playing with other musicians. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to, again, find this kind of balance thing because I get, and I can't think of the right word for this, but I get pretty, pretty stuffy as a musician, you know, I, I, and this is the, the problem with this is the college that I went through, you know, cause they, you know, that, well, you know, that is actually a D seven sharp, you know, that, yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of mentality of yeah. a high level of, of excellence kind of a thing is, is my problem It's not that I do it all the time, but I want that. And my problem is, is that the, when you're going, when you're, go, if the goal is fun, every single person knows what happens. Like, for example, when you get up with, in a band or at a jam with a kind of a whole bunch of jammers that kind of stumbled out of their garage. Right. And then you get up with like Dave Hayes' house band, you know, and then you're like, so which is more fun? You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, and yeah, there, yeah, that's yeah, why yeah. that's my philosophical yeah. argument yeah. against yeah. the fun thing. Should is we that be teaching people at jam sessions, us professional musicians? Should we be put on stage with a bunch of people that don't know how to play? Uh, quite frankly, that aggravates the shit out of me. Right, and it's happened before. So, I got stuck with a bad drummer one day down mm -hmm. at Knuckleheads, and I don't even remember his name, but this guy just sped everything up. I yeah. get the song start, I counted it off. And then he took off, and I'm trying to sing it, and I had to stop the second song that he did this to. Mm -hmm. I had to stop him, and I've never stopped a band before. Right. I had never done that. Yeah. Until you just had to, about, you know, yeah. I just no, dude. I cannot sing my song that I wrote at that tempo, mm -hmm. and I counted it off real slow mm -hmm. for him again, and he played slow for a couple of minutes, and then he was back up to yeah, it. Right. And it, it's just like. And I had to stop myself from saying anything to him on the way out because it's not my job to teach him. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, like I, I have to, I mean, and I should have said something kind to him about it, mm -hmm. but I, you know, like I don't, right. Yeah. I'm not here right. to teach everybody. Right. I just want to play yeah. and have fun. And I tried to have fun anyway, and mm -hmm. I didn't want to make a scene, you know, like, so, um, but there is that, that's kind of jam etiquette, you know, right. getting into the bar, signing up, Talk to the people. Find out what they want from you. Yeah. Not try to demand what you want from them. Yeah. Just say, you know, where can you fit me in? Or anywhere you can fit me in is fine. Mm -hmm. You know, just make Whenever it easy on Whenever you want to get me up or make not. It easy or on whatever. Do you yeah. want to get in there and play again next week? Yeah. Make it easy on them this yeah. week. You know, so that's one thing. Respect the, the jam uh, master. Um, secondly, um, communicate. When musicians get on stage and they put their head down and they play their guitar like this, mm -hmm. they're not keeping mm -hmm. their eyes up. 
So when you're at a jam session and you're a guest musician or you're one of the people that's sitting in, keep your eyes up. Look at everybody. Watch everybody. Look for cues. Listen for cues. Read the music. You know, as a bass player or a drummer, when you sense something coming up that you need to take control of, take control of it, um, you know. Um, but basically, there's a lot of community, especially towards the end of a song. Solos, for instance, you know, watch the lead singer. If you're taking a solo, keep your eyes on him because when he steps back up to that mic to sing the next song, you want to be done with your solo. Mm -hmm. You want to yeah. wind your solo down right. before, so he knows that's when he's coming in. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of things about reading other musicians and reading. You know, standard form is to take, you know, uh, a couple of 12-bar rides in a solo. Mm -hmm. Two is kind of the standard. Mm -hmm. Man, if you're really getting into it, the crowd's starting to hip up and everybody's kind of, you know, cheering you on, then go ahead and take a third ride through and just, you know, give the crescendo. But, but as so many players that I've seen, and not, not very many, but the guys will be taking their solo and they'll just pay no attention to where the, the end of it sure. is coming up and and they'll turn around yeah. is this the end right here and they haven't yeah. they haven't and that's the cluelessness yeah. that I was talking about that well, I get frustrated you with call you call it foolishness know. it's just inexperience right? cluelessness and, not foolishness you, okay yeah, yeah clue, being clueless about yeah, yeah. the etiquette you know well like, it's not your job to teach people but yeah. you shouldn't take it personally yeah. and I mean just you know always do your best work because it doesn't matter what they do mm -hmm. um, and I learned that by playing with a really bad band and a really great sax player that was in the band um, and I, I was like thinking about quitting the band. I had these double bookings coming up, and I was like, you know, yeah. he had just come back from New York, and we we're oh, this is the raunchiest little husband-wife trio band, and we we're playing little joints in Lenexa, and you know, mm -hmm. just like whatever. But uh, it paid. Yeah, it was a paid gig. And when I asked this gentleman about it, who shall remain nameless, he said, "Man, gig's a gig." You know, I asked him how he felt about playing with these two slat hacks that, you know, like he's a he's a pro that just got back from New York and he's been up there playing saxophone and he's just like, man, gig's a gig, show up and play. Mm -hmm. And he played awesome over the top of these, <laughs> these people that just could barely play their way out of a wet paper bag. And so I just like learned a lesson at that point. It's like a gig is a gig. Go in and do your best work, no matter where you are. And another thing about that is that you never know who's going to be in the audience. Yeah, yeah. Your next savior, your next lucky break could be sitting out there in a chair by himself. He's the only person in the bar and he's a record executive or he's a promotional guy or some, you know, some. Or he owns another or bar he, or whatever. He wants yeah. to hire you for a house party next week mm -hmm. or, or yeah. you know, next month. Never assume that the audience is not listening. If there's one person in there, play your show. Yeah. Do your show. Like so there's a whole room full of people. Just close your eyes and picture there's a hundred people sitting out there in their underwear, yeah. and you're playing your show. But and so that that's something that I will myself keep thinking about because you know me being you know basically a self-proclaimed music snob. You know I, I yeah. get up there and I I want to. It's not about the certain songs necessarily, but I I just I. I like playing quality stuff yeah. and I like being up with quality people, obviously. Yeah, and so yeah. I'm really, especially when I'm playing in my band, like forgetting the jams, but I, I have this problem of, and again, this is 
you know, it's this ego coming out, but I try, I try to be literally like three chess moves ahead in the song. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, well, that's I'm, the way I'm your so, brain works. I'm so yeah. far beyond overthinker. It's not even yeah, funny, yeah, you know. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, thinking yeah. about, you yeah, know, yeah. okay, here's verse. I'm gonna cut out, and I'm thinking about my comps. Okay, yeah. now I'm gonna use my double stops, and yeah, I'm gonna, and then this next one, and then we've yeah, got yeah, so yeah. you know, I'm like, yeah. yeah, and so it frustrates me when other people don't do that, but that that does lead to in a way that leads to less fun because I'm thinking about yeah, too yeah. much. Yeah. And there's a lot of other people that just are able to have fun. But I'm wondering that when stuff is really, really good and you're laying on the pocket and, and everything is rolling hard because everybody's treading, I, I think that is still more fun. You know, but oh, yeah. I understand your guys, the, the people that have given the kind of general argument that you are giving is that people like me don't understand that other people are just there for fun. Calm down, yeah, you know, yeah, calm, you know, yeah. and so I will take yeah. that to heart and keep thinking about that. Well, I've seen really lousy you know, bands in other towns, small towns. I'm, you know, I travel a lot the United States from one end to the other and. I'll drop in on a place I've never been before. They got live music, and I'll go in there and hear one of the worst bands I've ever heard. And the people are having so much fun. Mm -hmm. I, they, I, you know, like that's what it should be. Mm -hmm. These guys may be playing lousy, but they're having fun. That's what mm -hmm. music should be. Right. So, and I've been, you know, playing at the Phoenix one time. Uh, I was having a conflict with one of the other band members that was just like I was kind of like, mm -hmm. and this other person was really upset about something. And I was just trying to get through the set and everything. And one of our, one of our patrons came up to me afterwards and says, "You guys need to, you know, you, you can't be doing that on stage." Mm. Scolded me for it, yeah. and it really I didn't feel like it was my, you know, fault or what had happened. But it was, mood. Yeah, 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 it wasn't yeah. it wasn't anything I was doing. I was just trying to run the thing. Uh, but this other person was having a conflict, and she was pissed about it. They came in there to be entertained, and then they have to watch this band having a meltdown on the and stage. And ruin the audience's night. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so good yeah. music is contagious. Everybody has a good time. You, I, you know, you always, always have to do your best work yeah. on stage. So There's just, you know, yeah. it changes from one day to the next. Yeah. yeah. So last question for you. God, this is like flew by. Um, but last question for you. You were mentioning something about the young guys coming out. And... This one of my old bandmates said something to me. He was like, he's like, we have to remember that like in the seventies we had freaks like Jimi Hendrix and stuff that were just mm -hmm. absolutely insane or Charlie Parker or whatever, mm -hmm. you know. But he was like, you have to understand that now we have like super freaks, you know, that like, and, and these guys the they're like, by yeah, the dozens hundreds. and not even just in not in Kansas City even necessarily, but in the world. I in mean, the there's world. people that are just absolutely children. insane. Yeah, children. Okay, Rob. Talk, talk about, you You were talking about the people you were seeing at... Uh, the International Blues the Competition. The IBC, yeah. Yeah. So, International Blues Competition, Max Berry and I won the Kansas City Challenge and went to Memphis in 09 and 10 mm -hmm. and competed in the big contest down there. And we were watching this little girl named Shay, I think, who was from Kansas City in a youth band. Mm -hmm. And Shay could do the Johnny B. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. She was just super cute and mm -hmm. really talented. And just looked like she was just born with a guitar in her hand. She was sure. about 10 or something. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy. But 
me and some other friends while we were there I started, looked out at several of the other little youth bands that were coming in and I was just it was almost scary it was um, I, I, watching this little band from Germany and these kids are 14 and I walk into the club and I hear me Cassie uh, Taylor is sitting in with these guys Cassie Taylor, Otis Taylor's daughter mm -hmm. who's a big deal, guitar hero person um and I got in there and looked, and these little guys are just playing the shit out of Muddy Waters, and they're, and they're singing it, and it yeah. sounds like Muddy Waters, and they're from Germany, and all the German kids learn English, so they knew how to speak English, but I saw a little Japanese band. <laughs> it was like the same kind of thing. You walk in, you hear it's like, God. This is a cool band. Who's playing? And it's like <gasps> little bitty guys. It's like twelve year olds. Yeah, yeah, they're from Japan. They can't even speak English, but they can sing Muddy Waters, and it sounds. This kid's got a baritone voice, yeah, like wow. it, you know, like so. Uh, when I saw that, I was like, "What is this? What?" And um, at about the same time, I started studying reincarnation. Hmm. You know, as a, a concept. You know, they're all concepts. We don't really know what happens. I mean, and I can't hmm. profess to know, but. This uh, uh, kind of made me think about reincarnation that these kids who are, and you see all kinds of videos of little guitar player kids that are eight years old that can just play like Jimi uh, Hendrix. Yeah, can, yeah. I mean, it, this is a thing that's happening now, and I, I it brought me hope because I feel like the new age of information and technology that we're experiencing now with kids and computers and phones, and they their brains think differently, number one. Number two, though, these kids that I've seen play, these young mm -hmm. children that, that just, they couldn't possibly be old enough to have learned that in their short lifetime. Mm -hmm. You can't, you mm -hmm. can't learn that stuff. They're playing from their feeling. They were playing from their heart, from wherever. Uh, but um, I think, I, I, I'm kind of hoping that it's evolution taking place in front of us very quickly. Mm -hmm. It might be reincarnation, but it might be evolution or mm. both. But to me, evolution gives me hope because as a human species, we're, we've really fucked things up. Mm. Pardon the French, but um, we've screwed things up to the point where our world is a mess now, the environment's a mess, everything's a mess, and music has always saved the day, and music has always been a, a, a tool for revolution um, in any revolutions that have occurred, music has been an active part of that. So I just think that these children musicians that are coming up are going to reteach us something that's important. And that is that the music and the joy of playing music is important. Pay attention. You know, like, I don't know. I just, I just, it gives me hope yeah. for humanity right. that these children are learning so fast or that they come with the knowledge already in them, mm -hmm. in their DNA from somewhere else maybe or just I think one of the things that um, I don't know see one of the things that I remember my mom talking about is like she would try in her family band she would try to get like songs off of the record so her and her sister mm -hmm. sitting there and they're you know oh no 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 go back so the one's sitting there writing lyrics and the other one's like picking oh, the needle no, up you, and moving oh, it oh no back. you went too far you know and they're yeah, sitting yeah, there forever yeah, doing that yeah. Well now I I can't I can't comment on the the reincarnation uh, argument, but what I would say is that 
back in the 70s, again, you'd have to go buy a record or you'd have to listen to it on the radio or go to it if, exactly. if they even yeah. came to your town. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now I can go listen to Jimi Hendrix in two seconds. And so I would, I would make an argument that I think it's just one of the biggest reasons is technology has been one. And because everything is going so fast, people are picking up stuff so much faster. Kids are picking stuff up. Mm -hmm. but, but it's also kind of an evolutionary thing, too, is that we didn't have to... Jimi Hendrix was like making stuff up on the fly. Well, we've mm -hmm. already, we don't have to make Jimi Hendrix up because we've already heard him now, my right, generation. Right. you know. So yeah, yeah. that would be my explanation, kind of not necessarily a spiritual yeah. thing, but, but that, that would be one example that I would think of. And it, this is also back to the state of music that we were talking about earlier, that uh -huh. it's frustrating when I go... It's funny because uh, going out to like a blues jam and I look around and I'm like, Holy crap, there's like 40, 56 year olds in here. And yeah. then me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's like, yeah. you know, I'm bummed yeah. that more, but the jammers that come out, it ain't all 40 year old jammers. No, no. It is no. definitely not. In the and, last 10 years, mm -hmm. there's been a new. Right. Like, guys in their 30s and yeah. right now are just tremendous musicians. Mm -hmm. Um. Um, Definitely, Bobby's doing a bunch of good stuff up at uh, UMKC. There oh, are some yeah, killer yeah. jazz guys well, that are gosh, twenty. I, you know, yeah. Are, I was in the, you know. the program up there for a while, mm -hmm. and um, during the time Steve Lambert, mm -hmm. the, the saxophonist, Steve was very in good. school at the time, and they were playing his stuff in the in the mm -hmm. the concert that we did. They were playing his stuff, and it was just awesome. I was just amazed. And, He's this little guy from Iowa that just kind of came to town and all of a sudden. And Steve is just amazing. Well, all those types. All those guys. There's and, a crew yeah. of them, you know, yeah. 20 yeah. or 40 of them yeah. that have come out in the last 10 years. Exactly. There, that are just, you know, yeah. flying through Parker. Like 240 bebop yeah, crap. Yeah, yeah. And they're just, you know. Well, when you take that musical genius and then combine it with the education that Bobby Watson and his mm -hmm. crew can get them, it's just... I mean, you're creating monsters that you can't... Right. And even Blue, uh, Winfield Bluegrass Festival, when I go down there, I see the same thing that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. It's like these 10-year-olds, and they're just shredding up some bluegrass. Yeah. You know, the fiddlers. Playing and, and banjo. I've playing seen 12-year-old banjo players down yeah. there. Yeah. That's girl, great. There was yeah. a little girl, 12-year-old banjo player, and I think she was, like, Asian. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like... Her parents brought her down there because she could play banjo. They weren't musicians, but they, and this little girl just was just, oh my god, you know, like. Um, but anyway, to that note, yeah. um, I, I I'm encouraged by it. I, I'm encouraged by the younger cats than me that are really hitting this hard touring. Adam Cape, uh, Adam uh, uh, Hagerman, the drummer, mm. has toured with everybody, and mm. Adam is just. You know, uh, Jan Faircloth, the drummer. There are all, yeah, you know, Brandon, Husband, Levytown, all these guys yeah. are really falling into this touring bit. And um, they've just turned into killer players. And I'm just so glad that that's what's following me. Yeah. Is some really good musicians and really good music for Kansas City. It's just thrilling. Even, even in the blues scene, I mean, Samantha and Amanda are doing good, you know, mm -hmm. definitely the Trampled Underfoot guys are doing yeah. well, Brandon yeah. and them, yeah. uh, definitely uh, the 
um, old number five guys, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. Derek and Brock and them, you yeah, know, there's, so there, yeah. there's a handful of us that are 30 ish, you yeah. know, and, and that are, that and are trying to putting out you know, high quality, mm -hmm. great music. That's fun to listen to and easy to dance to and everything else. It's, it is a, a golden age of music in Kansas city right now. And that are respectful of the older music too. I think that's another thing mm -hmm. that, that kind of sort of would surprise maybe some older people going to, you know, those kids today, that kind mm -hmm. of crap, you mm -hmm. know, that, but mm -hmm. I don't know. I think there's a lot of blues players and, and all these j young jazz guys, they're very aware of Coleman Hawkins and yeah, Charlie yeah. Parker and all these old names and, and aware of their general story mm -hmm. and know the tunes and are, you know, respectful of the past. And I, I think that's really cool. I've had several conversations with people in the 40s, 30s, 40s generations, mm -hmm. and most of them have a story about their dad's record collection or their mom's mm -hmm. record collection. This is what I grew up with, Chubby Carrier yeah. or Chubby Checker. and and that's you know that's what I learned at first, and that's led me to this and this and this. But um, Brandon Hutspeth, his mm -hmm. dad was a music collector, and Brandon was blessed to have a father who you know taught him really good music. You just let him yeah. let him play the records, yeah. and and the kids they gravitate to what they like. My brothers and sisters had BB King in their record mm -hmm. collections when I was a kid. You know Bob Dylan, the whole. My, my parents had one, you know, basically one on the Fox Blair in my whole childhood, even though I didn't, I, I felt like I grew up with Zeppelin and all these yeah, people, yeah. Eagles, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I, so n not the jazz stuff, but all the classic rock stuff. I know all those songs. Yeah, they, yeah. they were blaring and it was That was the, the same songs I thing. grew up with right. and you grew up with them too by I, listening I, to that I, station. I feel them. like yeah. I grew up with, you know, yeah. I, I well, feel sure. similar to yeah. that. You they know? were oldies by then. But, yeah. You know, like but that. anyway, yeah. So, so. Well, I'm glad that, that you're, you know, that, that makes me feel good too. Cause, cause as a young guy, that's what I always hear from the older generation is, you know, stuff, you know, in, in many different areas, mm -hmm. especially in, in, you know, our, our world today, these kids today kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and I, you know, try to, you know, agree with them on some points of that, but disagree yeah. on others, you yeah. know, that there's, yeah. there's some other points like you just made about, yeah. you know, yeah, well, but in music, the people playing there, I, I agree with you that. I think there is a pretty respect for the past in the music well, scene with all of us young guys. And in general, mm -hmm. jam sessions in Kansas City, back to that topic, mm -hmm. I've seen some just really amazing jams here in Kansas City. Mm -hmm. Bands from different, or members from different bands come together. I mean, I get to sit in with Chris Schneblin sometimes, and mm -hmm. he's just an awesome blues drummer. Mm -hmm. And I never have to worry about Chris. I mean, I know he's going to play what I need to. Mm -hmm. And I get to see... Chris play with other people and the basses in Kansas City there's just so many of them that are mm -hmm. just so good yeah and and so it's just such a treat for me to watch that uh, uh, jam thing and to respect and revere these people because it's it's the future of music and I'm, I'm just so thrilled to be at it mm -hmm. and still all this time and I'm not playing in a band now right now at all I'm just mm -hmm. I'm I'm just lucky to be doing my solo thing mm -hmm. and, and and just enjoying I get to go out and play with people all the time because mm -hmm. I live in Kansas City. There's jams all over the place. Mm -hmm. So it's fun. You know? Yeah, sure. I love getting on the bass in front of the band that knows what they're doing because it's mm -hmm. just that's a religious experience for me. Oh, that's, yeah. I walk off stage feeling different after being able to do that. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's a therapy for me. 
Yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, there you go. Um, this has um, been Mark Montgomery, if, man. Yeah, if I can give a couple of minutes to do it. what I'm doing do it. now. Yeah, do um, it. I just uh, started my own record label about a year and a half ago. Mm. Uh, uh, Love Honey Records. And I put my latest CD, which is called Difficult Man, on this. And Difficult Man is a pretty complicated kind of jazz song in the middle of a bunch of blues, but um, it's just a humorous look at men, you know, <laughs> ourselves, you know, like kind of, you know, let's, let's all have fun with it. But um, so I released that about a year ago, did a soft release, and I'm still maybe thinking about shopping for a record label in Memphis, but I, I won the International Blues Competition this year uh, here in Kansas City, so yeah. I'm going to Memphis to perform my, my show um, in January, yeah. and until That's then, cool. be doing some benefits. I think we've got one at Llewellyn's next weekend, mm -hmm. and uh, with uh, uh, Heather Newman and her band. Mm -hmm. and then we're going to do another one the twenty sixth of uh, of December at Knucklehead. So, you know, there's that stuff is up and going right now, and I'm just so excited to be representing Kansas City. Mm -hmm. And the Blues Society, who has done wonderful things for me this year, I, ha I have to commend Lowell Burris and mm -hmm. the whole Blues Society um, has just been so gracious to me and treated me with such respect and love. And I, I just, my hats off to them, and my hats off to all the people who support live music in Kansas City. Thank you. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, anyway, me, me, I second that. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is Mark Montgomery. Uh, come check him out and playing around Kansas City, doing all sorts of stuff. But uh, thanks for coming, man. And this is Rob Foster, mm -hmm. musician and grumpy old guy at large. <laughs> I love you, Rob. S snob? You forgot well, snob. No, no, no I, I, I think it's just the fact that you know music. You've studied it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you just can't expect everybody to know what you know because yeah, you're smarter yeah. than almost all of them. Well, I just wanted to tell you yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's <laughs> probably right. Uh, get out of here. We'll see you next time. See you. Bye. <laughs>